Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette. I am your host today, Bill Bannum, and today I am joined by the awesome Lars Schmitz. Lars is uh, the founder of Amplified Talent and co-founder of HR Open Source, speaker, storyteller, and he's a social media influencer. Lars, welcome to the HR Chat Podcast. Yeah, Bill, thank you for having me and uh, appreciate the, uh, the, the very warm welcome. I'm feeling very important right now. <laughs> uh, you and I got a chance to meet in person back at uh, the Sherm conference in June 2016. And uh, I've, I've wanted to get you on for a while now uh, to, do, to do, an, do an interview. You've got lots of interesting things to say and, uh, and lots of insights to share. So let's jump straight in. Firstly, please tell me a bit about your career up to founding Amplify Talent. Yeah, so I, um, you know, I, I got into recruiting about 18 years ago, um, kind of by uh, by chance, really. I was uh, I studied marketing and international business in college. Uh, I always thought that would get me a job in advertising. Uh, but I was grew up in Florida. I knew I wanted to move to Los Angeles. And uh, there happened to be one company that came to our career fair that had an office in Los Angeles, and they were a technical recruiting firm. So I uh, didn't know anything about what that was, but I uh, really liked the team, found that I loved the work, um, spent about three years doing that on the agency side, then got recruited by one of my clients um, to go in and uh, start up and kind of help them rebuild the company. So moved from agency to in-house, spent about a year doing that. Then I moved over to Ticketmaster in uh, Los Angeles, where I spent about seven years in seven different roles, uh, leaving as VP of HR, overseeing global recruiting, um, internal communications, employee development, a few other areas of HR. Incredible run there. Had a lot of fun. Uh, Left after the merger with Live Nation, back into a startup that was uh, ramping up for an acquisition. Did that for about uh, a year, getting them ready, and then was recruited over to NPR, uh, which is a national public radio for your your viewers overseas outside of the U.S. And um, spent three years there as a senior director of talent acquisition and innovation. Uh, and that was a really uh, kind of transformative role for me that caused me to really start to to heavily get in, get involved in ideas like employer branding and candidate experience and digital engagement and storytelling. Um, and really kind of you know exploring the edges of where recruiting was starting to connect with marketing. And um, so after about three years, um, I had a blast doing that, but uh, I wanted to do more of it. And, you know, the role at NPR had kind of, uh, you know, leveled off at that point. And so I decided to test the entrepreneurial waters and, um, you know, step out of corporate America and, and start, uh, start Amplify Talent. Uh, and so we are a, a primarily strategy company that works with organizations that are looking to modernize how they go about recruiting. So for many of them, that's employer branding. Um, for some of them, it's recruiting infrastructure and process. For others, it may be uh, you know HR technology stack. But really, it's uh, it's organizations that are looking to modernize how they go about recruiting. Okay, so you go into an organization, and what do you do? Talk, talk, talk me through that that initial conversation that you have with them, and and then uh, the, the the process after that point. Yeah, so it depends on the scope of the engagement. So I've been really fortunate to work with a very broad range of industries and companies. So organizations from SpaceX to Cracker Barrel, which is a large restaurant chain in the U.S., to uh, Hootsuite, you know, global leader in social media, to Duo Security, one leading security spaces, to even Cognizante, which is a, a health technology company, um, you know, here outside of Washington D.C. And all of their needs are different. So for me, you know, step one is to really come in and understand what are they looking to do, um, what are some of the challenges they face, um, 
what are some of the ideal outcomes? Where do they want to be? So that I can ultimately work with them to help create a, uh, essentially most, or most engagements are going to be an audit of where they are right now, um, a, a lot of research and conversations and surveys to understand where they want to be, and then perform that gap analysis to say, okay, you're here now, here's where you want to be, uh, and then work with them to build a roadmap uh, that's typically, depending on exactly what they're looking to do, anywhere from you know a year to two to three years out of what they can do to kind of overhaul their recruiting and employer branding operations to get them to where they want to be. What does an average, if there's such a thing, Lars, what, what does an average work week look like for you? Uh, that's a tough question to answer. Um, for me, I think average... Uh, let, let me tell you kind of what goes into my work week, uh, whether it's average or not, we'll see. Uh, you know, for me, I, I'm involved in a lot of different things. So I've got, uh, I spend about right now 70% of my time on Amplify. Um, and so, you know, Amplify is a sole um, proprietorship right now. So it's me. So I'm the, um, I'm the, the CEO, I'm the bookkeeper, I'm the janitor, I'm the marketing guy, I'm the biz guy. Uh, I do everything. And so, that's a lot of fun, but it's a very varied role. So, you know, every week is a bit different. Um, I also spend about 30% of my professional time on HR Open Source, uh, which is an initiative that uh, I co-founded uh, a little over a year ago. Um, and so that's an, it, it's been a labor of love that we're now starting to really grow and mature into a force of change for HR and recruiting. And so I spend a fair amount of time there. Um, I also do a fair amount of writing. So I've got a uh, book coming out in January on employer branding. Um, I'm a contributor to Fast Company and Forbes and TechCo and Sherm and LinkedIn uh, and a few other publications. And so I do a fair amount of writing and blogging uh, and speaking. And then outside of that, I'm a, I'm a dad. So first and foremost, actually, I'm a dad. So I have a uh, two-and-a-half-year-old and an eight-month-old uh, daughter, uh, both girls, and uh, they, they keep us very busy. So um, I think one of the beauties of being an entrepreneur is despite all of those activities, uh, you know, you have a bit more flexibility into how you manage your day and how you manage your time. And so I find that you can be hyper productive. You can get a lot done. Um, but your, your average week, your clock, so to speak, does not look like a corporate clock. Yeah. I, I hear you on that one. <laughs> um, so here's a silly question for you. Uh, yeah. we, we always like to throw one or two in. Uh, if if they were making a movie about your life, Lars, who would play you and why? Uh, um, you know, I'd probably have to go with someone like a like a a, a, a present day Leo DiCaprio. You know, someone who uh, you know not in his glory days. Certainly, I'm not in my glory days. Uh, you know, he's <laughs> he's got got a little bit of a belly. You know, he's comfortable with who he is. Um, I think he's, uh, you know, I've always, I've always enjoyed him. I think he's, uh, you know, he enjoys life. Um, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Um, you know, he's got a good sense of humor. He's, uh, you know, he could be charming. Um, but, uh, you know, de- definitely not young, glamorous Leo, but uh, current day, you know, bad dresser, dad jeans, uh, you know, pop belly Leo DiCaprio. I think that would be, that would be a fun one. Now, you're a big believer in the importance of developing and supporting communities within the HR and leadership space, of course. Um, tell me, why does it matter? I think it matters greatly. Um, you know, for me, I look back at my own career and, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have the career I have if it wasn't for many people who are willing to take a chance 
um, on this, you know, inquisitive young guy who keeps peppering them with questions, right? Like I was always very uh, hungry earlier in my career to figure out how I could get better and what I could learn and where I had gaps and, and really attacking those gaps to try to, to bring more experience and ability into my roles. Um, but I would have never done that if I didn't have people that were willing to invest in me and invest time in me. And so I think probably, you know, when you, when you get a little older, you've been in the industry, if I've almost been in the industry for two decades now, um, you know, I'm a parent. So you, you, I think when you become a parent, you tend to view the world a little bit differently. Um, you think more about, you know, legacy is a dramatic word, but, but what you can give back, right? Like how, how your work and contributions might be remembered. And for me, um, I'm, you know, I'm fortunate that this industry has given me so much. Uh, it would be selfish for me not to give back and to try to create a foundation and an environment where, you know, the next generation of talent who's going to be kicking our asses in a couple of years um, have the the mentoring and the tools and the support and the resources so that they can thrive. So, um, you know, I think I think for me, it's it's you know, like anything else, if you're you're in an environment where you're in a fortunate position to be able to take and benefit from the goodwill and generosity of others, uh, you've got to pay that forward. Which is a nice uh, lead in to um, uh, the next question, which is please tell us a bit about HR Open Source. What, why did you decide to co-found it and how does it help the HR talent and leadership communities? Yeah, you know, so HR Open Source is probably uh, what I just described manifested um, at scale, which is uh, which is exciting for us. I mean, so my, my co-founder and I, Ambrosia Vertesi, um, we had been friends for years and, uh, you know, our first introduction um, professionally was actually based on sharing. You know, she was running talent at Hootsuite. I was running talent at NPR. Um, I think literally our first conversation, we spent about two hours um, breaking down all the problems we had <laughs> and all the challenges we faced and trying to pick each other's brain to see, uh, hey, what do you do when you uh, when you face this? How do you overcome X? And um, I think both she and I had worked hard to build our own professional networks to have a lot of really bright, competent, capable people that we could go to when we had those questions. And so I think when you have that, it, it, it magnifies your impact immeasurably. And so we, we were having a, you know, a beer at a conference. So we said, you know what, what do we wish we had earlier in our career? Uh, and, and it was just that. It was if we had an ability to plug into something that would give us access to proven practices that other practitioners have already done and failed and fixed and, you know, and it really cracked the code of understanding exactly how they did that. Um, got our hands on something like that for free. It was searchable. It was easy to find. There was templates and resources. Um, but more importantly, there was community. You know, there was people all around the world who were in similar jobs, seeing similar challenges, solving them, getting knocked on their ass, getting up again. Um, how do you how do you find a way to kind of harness that? And for us, we likened it to, um, you know, I, I imagine you used a movie reference, so you're probably a, you know, a fan of the Matrix or familiar with the Matrix. But this idea of when you plug into the Matrix, your, your innovation, your understanding, your knowledge accelerates dramatically. And, and to us, that's kind of what we like at our own professional experiences too. You know, the fact that we've been able to build this network of incredible thinkers and doers uh, and practitioners it was like plugging into the matrix. And so we said, can we build something that would allow practitioners anywhere in the world um, at no cost, which was very important, you know, because cost is a barrier for a lot of practitioners 
to access this knowledge, to access resources, to access proven case studies, and to access each other, right? Because a lot of people may not have budgets to go to conferences. Maybe they're not active on social media for whatever reason. So, you know, they have these kind of small insular networks. How do we blow that up at scale and let people tap into everybody? And, uh, and really, that was the, the driving kind of spirit behind creating HR Open Source. Okay, so you've you've given an insight in terms of the importance of creating a platform and uh, a, a, a vehicle which people can access freely and uh, with with um, key content. But let, let's talk about what that content looks like. Or what for you makes for compelling content? You know, compelling content. I think in the case in the in the context of an HRS case study is something relatable and actionable, right? And so seeing how seeing what what's being put out there in the industry is best practice to me, isn't necessarily that relatable. But if I can go to a platform like this and I can search for this problem I'm trying to solve and I can see different companies with different industries and different regions with different resources and culture, and they're all solving a similar problem. And maybe they're going about it a different way, but I can follow kind of their journey and their truth. And I'm not necessarily going to replicate that, but I can take enough from that that I can then go back and actually, now it's accessible to me. It's something that I can actually see myself doing and getting buy-in within my own organization to drive. And so to me, that's what's compelling is it's something that's relatable. I think we have a very deliberate format for our case studies. It's who you are, what you did, why you did it, how you did it, what the results were, what you got wrong, and the key takeaways. And I think in particular that, that what you got wrong component makes the journey relatable to other practitioners because you rarely get that. You go to conferences, you read case studies, you read white papers. It's all about, look at this great thing we did, but rarely do they share their warts and every project has them. But when you don't see that, and that's magnified by the the fact that it's a big brand, it makes it really inaccessible as a practitioner for me to think that I can't do that in my organization. But in, I think in our format, we, we intentionally lay it out that way so that it is accessible, it is relatable, uh, and then most importantly, it's actionable. So as, as, a, as a highly respected speaker, what, what do you think makes for a powerful presentation? Also, Lars, do, do you think HR pros want different takeaways compared to, say, C-level professionals? Um, yeah, I think that the – I think to answer your last question first, I mean, HR practitioners, um, they're really hungry for the how. Um, I think they're getting more savvy around the the what and the why, but it's the how do you do this thing, right? I think that's what they look for from a takeaway. So, you know, sessions that I think are are, are from a speaker perspective, I think prescriptive sessions tend to be really effective um, for practitioners because you're giving them actionable takeaways. You're helping them determine the how and specifically what they need to do to achieve this thing that you're talking about. Um, for executives, I think it's, uh, you know, it's probably a little less focused on the how because they're not necessarily tactically doing that thing. Uh, it's more on the why and the ROI. So, you know, why we're doing this thing, why does this thing matter? But then most importantly, what's the result? Is it actually influencing change? Uh, is it having the results that you expected it would have? Um, because ultimately the C-levels are the ones that are having to own the success or failure of that project. Right, it all rolls up to them, and so they they want to know is it going to actually make an impact? And, uh, and can you give me your the question before that one more time? Yeah, um, I, I was wondering what what you feel makes for a powerful presentation. Um, so again, I think uh, a, a knowing your audience. So you probably asked it in the right order. Uh, you know, you're you're going to tailor. I think your 
message and your story story based on who the attendees are, because I think that they're looking to get different things out of that uh, that speaking engagement. Um, but I think what's really important is kind of trying to present in a way that brings the audience along with you. Um, and, and that's it's a little harder to articulate exactly what that means. But I think we, we've all been in conferences where, um, you know, presenters, the physical nature of presenting, you have this this dividing force between your speaker and the audience, right? You're on a stage, you're behind a lectern, you've got a mic, you're already kind of put in this position of, of power and visibility over your audience, if you want to look at it that way. Um, and I think that the speakers who are really successful are ones who can quickly break that down and make a connection with their audience. Um, take away any kind of uh, you know, pontification that may come with some speakers and really connect and relate, be humble, um, you know, share share mistakes uh, openly. Do things to try to engage the audience early on. To me, I think those are the speakers that um, that really get my attention because uh, I, I think they're relatable. I think they connect with the audience. Um, and again, I think one thing that you don't see a lot in speakers, but I think helps them really connect, is vulnerability. Uh, right? I mean, a lot of times you're you're put in this position to be the speaker because you're considered to be. Uh, an authority or have valuable knowledge around a particular area. Um, but when you can be vulnerable, when you can let people know, hey, look, I, I'm fortunate to be in this position to share this story, but we're no different. I just have a bit of a different path, a bit of a different experience. I think that uh, that goes a long way in, in kind of, you know, leveling the playing field. So it's really more of a discussion and a conversation with your audience. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot now, but uh, yeah. could you could you offer maybe two or three speakers that you really respect who've who've had a big impact on you when you've seen them live? Oh wow! Um, you know, I've uh, I still remember the first time I saw Lori Rudiman speak. It was at a Sherm conference years and years and years ago. I just loved her voice. She was uh, we become good friends, so I have no problem you know giving her public uh, public praise. And I've told her this personally, but I just. She has a certain swagger, if you will, uh, around how she presents, that she she commands a room and she speaks from experience and she's smart as hell. Um, but to me, she was really relatable. And I think that uh, I love seeing people that break that typical HR you know, mold where people expect HR to perhaps play it a bit safer, um, be a bit more conservative. Um, you know, she's not those things. But I respect that a lot uh, about her and her style. Um, you know, another that comes to mind is, um, you know, Stacey Zapar, I think in terms of presenting to uh, recruiters is phenomenal. Like she can just, uh, she has a certain vulnerability about her that I think is very charming and I think uh, wins audiences over. Um, but she's also very, uh, very bright and very relatable. So, um, you know, offhand, those are two to come to mind. Uh, you know, John Velastalika is fantastic. Uh, he's somebody who I really enjoy and, and is also charming and witty. Chris Hoyt uh, is another. So um, I, I could I could spend minutes here. But uh, but yeah, there, there's a lot of really talented speakers in our space. As someone with lots of experience within the recruiting space, what do you think makes for a compelling employer brand? I'm going to avoid the word authentic because I think it gets overused uh, and it's it's, you know, flirting with uh, jargon uh, at this point. But I think, you know, real, unfiltered, um, honest, uh, to me, those are all things that are compelling. I think we, a lot of times we get so hung up on this notion of um, the talent attraction element of employer brand, right? It's focused on how do we make our company cool and sexy and hip and interesting and attractive. And 
yes, you want to do those things, assuming that that is actually real. So if, if that's not real, you don't want to do those things. But let's I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say that that is, that is real. So yes, you want to find ways to capture those stories. But at the same time, every company has flaws. Every company has challenges and warts. And if you're if you're constructing a, an employer brand narrative that is solely built to highlight the highs and avoid the lows and high or and or worse hide the lows, um, you really risk creating an environment where you're bringing people in for the wrong reasons. You're masking um, the true culture, the true kind of EVP of the organization. And I think when you do that, you'll find that you know you may bring people in, but they're going to leave, and ultimately that's going to be a lot more expensive on your recruiting efforts to hire people under the false pretenses because they will find out, they will leave, uh, and then you're going to have an endless cycle of recruiting and backfill. And every one of those chips away at the overall uh, external positioning of your employer brand. So um, over time, doesn't matter what you say, there will be enough of a real word about what your environment is like on the outside that uh, you know no amount of, of conscious employer branding is going to offset that. So let's let's just talk about that a bit more for a moment in terms of the the projection of of, of the employer brand and uh, being being an advocate of, of the brand, if you like. Do do you believe that modern HR people need to also be marketing people in in some fashion today? Uh, I think uh, if you narrow that down to recruiting more so than HR, I would say yes. I think uh, HR broadly. No, I, my worldview tends to be, uh, one, it's all HR. So I'm definitely uh, a believer that recruiting is in team HR. I'm not one of those, uh, you know, uh, Brexiter opinions of people who say, no, recruiting <laughs> is not HR. Yes, it is HR. And, and you're short-sighted if you are only looking at talent attraction and aren't looking at the whole talent lifecycle. But that aside, um, I think that it is important for uh and I would say uh, I'd probably look at it more from a function perspective, that the function of recruiting has some marketing capabilities and sensibilities embedded within it. That doesn't mean that every recruiter has to be a marketer. It doesn't mean that every HR person has to be a marketer. Um, you know, you have to play to people's strengths. But I think that when you look at the overall skill set of your recruiting function and your HR function, you have to have some marketing capabilities and sensibilities and skills in that team to be successful in today's kind of modern world of recruiting. Lars, unfortunately, we're coming towards the end of this particular interview. Uh, I'd love to get you on again, again, very soon. But um, before we wrap up, just a couple of last questions. Firstly, will you be speaking at any HR talent related events in 2017? And if so, which ones and why? Um, so I am, uh, I'm actually still working on my schedule for 2016, uh, 2017, I should say. Um, so I've got uh, a few tentatives out there. I'm not committed to anything. Um, part of that is deliberate on my end because um, as we covered when the, uh, what does your average week look like? Uh, you know, my weeks <laughs> can be a challenge. I, I am, especially with, uh, you know, two little ones at home, I'm much more conscious about travel Um uh, you know, I, I love to travel all the conferences where I have an opportunity to speak, but uh, the reality is I decline more than I accept uh, right now, just given bandwidth. So I have to be very uh, kind of judicious with my travel schedule uh, in the upcoming year. And so um, I actually, at this moment, I have not actually committed uh, to any speaking engagements yet, but I'm talking to probably, um, you know, half dozen uh, with another, you know, half dozen that uh, I, I plan on talking to. So um, the one place that I will, I definitely will be is um, South by Southwest. 
in March, South by Southwest at Western Interactive, and I'll be uh, presenting at Craig Fisher's TalentNet conference. So I take it back. So I do have one one commitment. I'll be at Craig Fisher's TalentNet conference at uh, South by Southwest Interactive in Austin. And um, you know, to answer your question, why uh, I love the uh, I really enjoy the event at South by Southwest because it's not an HR event. It's not a recruiting event. You're able to surround yourself with uh, creatives, designers, marketers, all different kinds of people. It's jumping the shark a little bit. I think it's not the same event it was a couple of years ago, um, but it's still an interesting event. And it, it, to me, it's uh, it's rich uh, in networking and it's rich in kind of immersing myself in other perspectives. Um, but I think Craig also runs a really great event with talent that I've spoken at many of them. Um, actually, the, the conference that I mentioned two years ago that uh, HRS was started over beers, that was TalentNet in, uh, in in 2015. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, and I'll have more updates throughout the year on other events and conferences. But um, I'm, I'm trying to kind of not overcommit now until I have a more holistic view of the entire year. Okay. Well, please do share through Twitter and Facebook and elsewhere with, with the HR Gazette when you've got these uh, when you've got these other speaking slots confirmed. And uh, we'll, we'll be sure to help spread the word. Um, just finally today. Uh, what are the best ways to connect with you and also to learn more about HR open source? Yeah. So the best way for me, um, you can go to amplifytalent.com. Uh, it's got more information on Amplify, um, my bio, obviously, and background, speaking gigs, all my, I keep that updated with all my speaking gigs as well. So uh, you can see that there. Um, you can connect with me on Twitter at, at Lars. I'm uh, fairly prolific there. Uh, LinkedIn at, uh, you know, slash Lars Schmidt. And uh, HR Open Source is uh, hros.co. Uh, that is the main hub if you want to join and get involved. It's at no cost. Just go to hros.co slash join. And then uh, our primary communication hub is our Facebook group, which is just facebook.com slash groups slash HR Open Source. And uh, again, there's over 2,000 practitioners all around the world um, having robust conversations every day about the, uh, the world of work and um, innovative practices for talent and HR. Okay, awesome. Well, that just leaves me to say, Lars Schmidt, thank you so much for being our guest today on the HR Chat podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great talking with you. And listeners, until next time, I've been your host, Bill Bannum. This has been the HR Chat podcast brought to you by the HR Gazette. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat podcast brought to you by the HR Gazette.